Welcome to Unlapped, Katie George, Nate Saunders, no Lawrence Edmondson. He is currently on the ground in Spain, I believe, Nate, talking to Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton for their media availability. Yeah, any old excuse, right, to miss to miss this show. Terrible. But um, yeah, yeah he's, he's our guy on the ground this weekend, uh, media day, as we're recording it. So a bit of a clash there. It's a difficult one to get out of, I think. Talking to two, talking to two world champions. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. Also, when you win the predictions from a week prior, you just big league us and just say you don't have time for us. I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. Um, but I didn't want to mention that. Well, I'll mention it. And so, no Lawrence, no Lawrence Edmondson. He uh, rightfully predicted that Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso would be on the podium in Monaco. You and I haven't had a chance to actually debrief after Monaco. Just give me your overall thoughts, what you made of it. I found it to be extremely entertaining, and I know that's one of the knocks on this race, that they say that it's not entertaining and exciting enough. Yeah, I was the same. I absolutely loved it. I thought, I mean, qualifying was fantastic. It's one of the best qualifying sessions we've seen for a long time. But usually, you're right, the rap is that the, the Sunday never lives up to the Saturday. Don't think I don't think you can quite compare the two, because Saturday is so special in Monaco. But that race really had everything you could want from a race. You know, you have kind of a very, very tense opening where Max just couldn't quite shake Alonso enough to, to make the pit he needed. Then you had the teams thinking, is it going to rain? It might rain a little bit. And then they realized, actually, all of our predictions were completely wrong. And then you had that kind of chaotic few minutes where really it was hard to keep up with what was going on. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, Monaco, you know, it's not it's not the most entertaining race for for overtakes. But I feel like F1 fans sometimes there can be a bit of hypocrisy about you go to some places and they say, oh, it's too, you know, the DRS is too powerful here. There's too many overtakes. And then you get to Monaco and there's not enough overtakes. It's like, well, what do you what do you guys want? And I think that, you know, that race is just such an incredible spectacle. And Full credit to Formula One. I, I don't know if you're the same, Katie, but I could really notice the difference with F1 actually being in charge of that broadcast this year in terms of the footage we got. We had a lot more aerial stuff. The visor cam in Monaco is just unbelievable. And I feel like, I don't know if you felt the same, but the, the broadcast just seemed to feel more like, you know, th- there was almost a bit more jeopardy about it. You could feel these guys were so close to the wall kind of all the time. And I don't know if that's because we're in the business. So you you watch broadcasts with a different kind of eye for things. But I definitely felt like that there was a drastic difference in Kudus to F1 mm-hmm. and Sky Sports. They did an incredible job. And that's not to say that the previous production wasn't great, wasn't entertaining, wasn't fun to watch. But this just had a different kind of level. And the aerial views... I just I forget how twisty and turny and just mm. how thin and and slim some of those roads are that they're driving on. I thought it yeah. was um, picturesque to say the least. It is, and I think that you know, a lot of the time, you know, I think sometimes people can forget these are some of the best. Well, they are the best drivers in the world, and when you see like how fast they're going, and I think that that's another thing that the cameras captured quite well. It's just the sheer speed. You know, when there was, I forget who everyone was behind at one point. There was about six cars all behind, and none of them were taking it any slower going into corners they were still hitting mm-hmm. their breaking points and stuff just absolutely insane as an event and i'm i'm really glad that you know monaco has stayed for the short term hopefully that's you know long term beyond this 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 current contract but yeah great place to go and as always very very special to actually be there because yeah just a great race great place and surprisingly no one had esteban ocon or alpine on their bingo card in our predictions yeah. what did you make well, of their performance I thought it was brilliant. And I think that's one of the nice things about Monaco. And that always, I think more so, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that always used to be the case that Monaco would always throw up a surprise like that. You know, somebody getting themselves up the grid, whether it's through qualifying or whether it's through, you know, clever strategy or just kind of dumb luck through a safety car. Mm -hmm. But you would have a lot of these results. I remember one of the most, um, 
well, one of the best Monaco Grand Prix ever was um, a French driver, Olivier Panis, won in 1996. There was about four cars that finished. Um, and I think he was the last French person to win until Pierre Gasly did. So it shows you how long that wait was. Yeah. But he was in, uh, I think it was the Prost team. He was he was driving for a team right at the back of the grid. Um, and it just came out of nowhere. It was in the middle of this great fight between Schumacher and Hill that season. Um, and suddenly this random guy won. So it had that kind of feel to it. And fair play to Ocon because, you know, obviously we spoke about it last week. The uh, Laurent Rossi at Alpine kind of very, very publicly criticizing the management of the team. But I think fairly, Katie, you and I, actually I realized a lot of other people interpreted that to have been a dig at the drivers as well. But whoever it was aimed at, Ocon responding perfectly to that. And I think, um, yeah, that's going to go down as one of the drivers of the season, I think, given the guy he's in and just given the pressure around that team at the moment. I couldn't agree more. I think that'll be a highlight of the season that obviously has been dominated by Max Verstappen that we'll look back to. Uh, and kind of circle because the joy that Esteban Ocon had after the fact, after the race on the podium, um, that's kind of what the sport is all about. Um, you know, obviously but he calls himself, he doesn't call himself Esteban when he gets on the podium, does he? He calls himself, was it Esti Bestie or something? <laughs> and I don't I, know. I mean, I'm not I hate things like it. that, but I mean, it seemed to be all over Twitter after. So clearly, it was. clearly yeah, clearly, whatever His that ulterior is. Ulterior ego is or something when he gets on the podium. Yeah. Well, yeah. if that is his alter ego, he needs to tap into it more, doesn't it? Because yeah, it was pretty exactly. damn special. <laughs> exactly. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Let's hit the headlines of the week. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This is such a dicey kind of conversation to have because obviously Fernando Alonso has performed tremendously well 
for Aston Martin this season, five podiums out of the six races. Mm -hmm. Um, They've provided an incredible car. We know the jump from a year ago to now. um, You cannot commend this group um, at Aston Martin enough. Lance Stroll started the season with the wrist injuries. Really brilliant drive at the beginning of the season. And we were commending him for kind Mm -hmm. of pushing through gutty performances. Since then, though, he has not been up to task. And there's been a pretty giant gap between the two drivers. If you're Lance Stroll, how do you evaluate the discrepancy between your best driver, Fernando Alonso, who, yes, is a world champion, and your son? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's turning into a bit of an awkward situation, I think, for Lawrence Stroll, because I think it's quite obvious to a lot of people watching that there is that big gap. Mm. On the one hand, if you're Stroll and if, you know, Stroll to get to where he is, he's got to be quite good at his PR. He could say, well, this is why I spent so much money on Fernando Alonso. You know, he gets the best out of the car. You could make the argument that Fernando Alonso is achieving kind of above and beyond with that car. I mean, if you, you know... I think it's very, very easy to look at Lance Stroll and be like, this guy's rubbish, he can't drive at all. But we've seen from Lance Stroll this kind of really weird trajectory in his career where he can go four or five races and really be quite anonymous and then out of nowhere have a really strong performance. So there's clearly a baseline of talent there. I've never been sure whether it's good enough for you know a top-level Formula 1 drive. And I feel like this season is kind of beginning to show that. And you're right, weirdly... His best performances were when, uh, you know, as far as we could tell, he could barely kind of move, he could barely turn the steering wheel. So it was, it's strange, you know. Um, I think there have been some mitigating circumstances here, to be fair to Stroll. So he had an ERS issue in Saudi, uh, in Miami. Aston sent him out in Q1 just for one lap. And then the, the, you know, the track was evolving. They didn't send him back out and he ended up starting down the field. Monaco, it, you know, emerged afterwards that he had a damaged floor in qualifying. It's why he went out of Q2. And obviously that's a horrible place to go out of Q2. However, you know, at the same time, he's not been delivering, you know, in 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 the races that follow, or you know, the qualifying sessions around that, compared to Fernando. So, a difficult situation. I've always thought that Stroll actually has the safest seat in Formula One. I don't see any situation where Lawrence gets rid of him. You know, he's always said he thinks his son can be a an F one world champion. Um, but then at the same time, if he does think that, you know, him signing Fernando Alonso, he must have known. You know, no matter how good you think your son is, like you must look at that and think it's pretty tough for my son to beat this guy. So I don't know. I think the next kind of the next five or six races will be really interesting because if if Lance is consistently consistently finishing outside the points or low in the points and Fernando's still getting podiums, that question is going to get louder and louder and louder. And there are better drivers around there. You know, there are guys that, you know, could be tempted by this Aston project. You know, you look at someone like a Lando Norris, like, does he look over and say, well, actually, you know, that might not be the worst project for me to get involved in right now. Um, but again, that depends on how much money uh, Lawrence Stroll is willing to spend. But in terms of, you know, how 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 Lawrence Stroll must be an, uh, analyzing it at the moment, I think that he probably is looking at the positives right now, given how early we are into the season. But I feel like that really can't continue if Stroll, sorry, if, if Lance Stroll keeps performing like this, because after a while, it's hard to spin that, isn't it? It's hard to keep saying, oh, he's just having issues and, oh, Fernando's just great. It's like, yeah, those things are true, but they've both got the same car at the end of the day. And there's a massive difference between what they're getting out of that car. Well, I think, too, if we move throughout the season and Lance isn't performing or getting high in points, you could ask the question, well, if both drivers were finishing in the top five, like what would the ceiling of this team this mm. season be? Um, obviously, we know how dominant the Red Bull is, but you say something that's interesting. They're both essentially driving the same car, and we know that there's a little tinkering here and there, but it makes me think back to Sebastian Vettel a season mm-hmm. ago. And does that 
the way you look at it in comparison to having Fernando Alonso in the seat is Fernando Alonso just that much better than Sebastian Vettel. The car obviously has played a huge impact Mm. or Lance Stroll was on par with Vettel as a driver and we're not giving Stroll enough credit. Well, I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, I I remember saying last year that I I thought if, if you put a top tier of drivers, it would be Max, Lewis and Fernando and then the rest are below that. And, you you know, you can order them however you want. But I've always thought that those three guys are in the top tier. And when I've said that, when I said that when Vettel was still driving, people kind of got annoyed at that. They're like, you know, he's a four-time world champion, you know, the disrespect. Mm-hmm. But I think there is an element to that. I mean, it, it 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 is difficult to compare a guy in kind of a midfield to, you know, to lower end car to a car that can get a podium more because, you know, we see it more. But Stroll was quite good against Vettel. You know, if you look at their record together, mm-hmm. It wasn't so one-sided, you know, certainly in terms of points. Um, and yet you look at this and it's one-sided in qualifying. It's one-sided uh, in races. So again, you know, is it, I don't know if it's comparing apples and oranges. It, I, I think it's a fair comparison. You know, he's he's had two multiple world champions against him and one of them's made him look really, really stupid. The other one hasn't, you know, the one he was quite competitive against. So, yeah. and I don't know whether Lawrence Stroll saw that and thought, well, look, he's he's doing pretty well against a four-time world champion. I can put him up against Fernando Alonso. I can put him up against Lewis. I can put him up against Max and he'll do fine. You know, maybe that skewed where he thought um, the comparison was going to be. Um, but having spoken to people in Aston Martin, I think they're surprised at the difference between Fernando and Sebastian. Not just, I, I think they mean that more in terms of just Fernando can just kind of jump in anything and just, it's like he can just drive it to third or to second. And I think that, you know, the rap on Vettel was always more that when everything was perfect, he was great. But, you know, if there was a bit more challenge and especially, you know, from like the late Ferrari years on through to Aston Martin, we saw a lot more mistakes from him. You don't see those same things from Alonso. So it is interesting. And for me, it has kind of opened my eyes even more to to the difference probably between if even more than how it's opened my eyes to stroll. I think it's opened my eyes more to kind of the difference between a driver like Vettel and a driver like Alonso. And I know people hate hearing that, but I think, you know, it's 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 difficult to it's difficult to see any other any other argument but i mean what do you what do you think do you think i'm being harsh to harsh to vettel there because you know the guy did win four championships and won a lot of races at red bull and ferrari but for me yeah he just doesn't have the same i i know alonso is going to finish on the podium like you go into every race like he's going to get the best out of the car but with vettel i don't know maybe mentally he checked out a bit when he got to aston as well uh whereas you know alonso's come in with a different mindset so i think that's worth considering as well right yeah i mean i think that's fair enough there's a cliche, though, in sports, um, the tale of two halves, right? And yes. I felt like for for Red Bull, it was the tale of two weekends. Max Verstappen mm. obviously doing what we know him to do every single weekend. Sergio Perez, who was P1 a year ago, got him an extension with Red Bull in Monaco, just had an abysmal weekend going out in Q1 with uh, a wreck into the barriers. What did you make of his weekend and how, you know, the title race is essentially over? I don't even know if it was ever was truly there to begin with, but there was this intrigue between the two drivers going back and forth with Sergio Perez taking a couple of races early on. But Monaco was just the difference was massive. Yeah, it was pretty brutal, wasn't it? And I feel like Perez, at, at the very least, he kind of kept us thinking that maybe there'd be a championship fight, even though Miami, you know, <laughs> he still finished second. You know, mm. Max did really well to win that race. But yeah, it was it was a pretty crushing blow to anyone who wants to see even the semblance of a championship fight. Mm-hmm. And it is it's it's you know probably one of the worst places Perez could have done that. You know, not only at this point in the season, but he's kind of 
gain this reputation of kind of you know being f1 street king and all this stuff and then to do that you know at a place that was so important for him last year in terms of getting that new contract like you said i don't know it um it just could not yeah i i that when i saw him in the barrier there was a second when i thought it was it was max because the angle of his car obviously it's 11 on his car and i was like that's the number one and then suddenly realized no it's not it's, it's obviously checo because you know the helmet and everything else so it was just a real kick in the teeth and if you do that in monaco you're not going to you're not going to finish in the points doesn't matter how how fast your car's going to be so i think that's i think that's the question now is kind of what can perez do from here you know a couple more defeats and he'll be two kind of two wins away in terms of points you know he's 39 points behind now 50 points and he'll be two victory you know max could retire twice and still lead the championship so you get to a point where it's not even is the championship over it's like we're already thinking like wow how early could he get this done which is what, you know, which is nuts. So yeah, not great. And um, I don't know. I just, I I did start to believe, you know, around, you know, the third or fourth race that maybe Perez had it in him. And the last two have just kind of, have really knocked, knocked that belief, I think. But with that said, he has suffered heartache before and he mm. has bounced back. Do you foresee yes. him being able to kind of put Monaco in the rearview mirror and perform well in Spain? Yeah, I think so. And and Perez just has to keep reminding himself that, you know, he's got the car where if, if he if he does a clean job, he should finish second, third, at the very least every weekend. And I think that that can be a real confidence boost for him. I think that the difficulty is now he's in a situation where I feel like he's naturally going to be trying to overdrive the car. We saw Bottas get into this cycle against Lewis yeah. where he'd be down both in terms of points and confidence. And then he'd come into week- weekends and he's like, I've got to get pole. I've got to beat Lewis to pole. Even though he probably couldn't have finished second, I think for his confidence, he was like, I've got to beat Lewis to pole here. It means so much to me. And then obviously in doing that, if you make a mistake and suddenly you qualify fourth or fifth, you're like, well, now I'm in a doubly bad situation. So I think Perez just needs to, it's almost like he needs a, you know, a reset and just say, right, you know, I'm good. I'm good. You know, he's won a lot of races recently. And I think he's actually done in those races when he's won, he's looked really impressive. It's just the races he hasn't won where I feel like, you know, maybe it's the races where Max doesn't have issues. Maybe that's the the harsher way of saying it. But um but yeah, I think he, he and he's a pro as well. Like, you know, he's he's been around for so long. I've got no doubt he'll 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 bounce back, but it's just how how quickly he does that, I think's the question. Yeah. Also, there was a big time move made this past week. McLaren has appointed Red Bull's Rob Marshall as their technical yep. director, engineering and design. Uh a big get. I would say for McLaren, you kind of just describe Rob's story and what the future looks like with McLaren and Rob moving forward. Yeah. I mean, Rob's a huge name. Rob Marshall is a huge name in Formula One. So he worked uh, at Renault when Fernando Alonso won his first championship. Then he was actually, I can kind of remember when I was, you know, I, I was a teenager, but I remember in autosport when they, when Red Bull was signing like Nui and all these guys and Rob Marshall was one of the guys then that they signed and that was when they hadn't won even a race. So he joined that project early and, you know, obviously saw the vision of that was a key part of that. You know, we and we always talk about Adrian Newey and Adrian Newey headed mm-hmm. all of that up. But Rob Marshall was, you know, it's always the case, isn't it? There's a guy at the top and then there's guys working underneath him. Rob Marshall would have played a huge role in that Red Bull dominance at the start of the, you know, the last decade. Um, and he's been there throughout. You know, he's always been credited as, you know, one of the one of the geniuses of that team. And so for McLaren to get him is huge. You know, we've talked about um, Dan Fallows from Red Bull and Eric Landon from Mercedes, both going to Aston Martin, kind of with the knowledge of both those teams and those cars in their heads. But it's the same kind of thing. You know, the the, the philosophies, the ideas that Rob Marshall is going to bring. He's not starting to the start of next season. So again, it will be a bit of a slow lead time. But what we've heard Zach Brown say over and over again is McLaren, he wants them to be title contenders in 2025. So if they can get the, you know, if they can 
get Rob Marshall immediately kind of working in a good way, then that should have an impact for the following season. But yeah, he's he's a great addition. And now Zach Brown has basically built this kind of this huge structure now. You know, obviously they got rid of James Key, brought in Andreas Stella to head up the team, but they've got this kind of um this there's I think there's three of them now um underneath. Uh, David Sanchez who's come across from Ferrari is one of those guys. Obviously they've got Rob Marshall who's come in. Um so they've got a real powerhouse there in terms of technical minds. And I think the key for McLaren is just getting those guys in sync together. You know, it's all well and good bringing all these different minds together. Yeah. But how are they going to gel together? Are their ideas going to work? And are they going to work well together? That's also a a key thing. But if they can, I think they're in a good position because I think McLaren especially have looked at what happened with Aston, you know, and Lawrence Stroll to his credit, you know, one of the things he did rather than try and be too clever with it, he was like, who, who is the best guy I can get from Red Bull with this money? It's Dan Fallows. Who's the best guy with this money I can get from Mercedes? It's Eric Blanded on the you know on on this side. So Zach Brown's seen that and he's like, we've got to go after Sanchez, we've got to go after Marshall. These are the guys with the teams that are winning. And you know, if you can't beat them, join them. That's what they say, isn't it? And this is kind of a roundabout way of doing that. So obviously we won't see the results of this for a while. But yeah, great hire. And um I I think this is we've talked about this before, haven't we, with Zach Brown, but he's kind of this is it now for him. This is the team that if this doesn't work, then I can't see Zach Brown staying on as CEO at McLaren because this is kind of this is the team he's built now to do that, you know, to to move them meaningfully forward. So if they can't do that, then yeah, they'd be in trouble. It's interesting. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel, right? You see what Red mm. Bull's been able to accomplish at the top of the top, Mercedes, and you just kind of laid it out what Lance Stroll's line of thinking was. And now obviously Zach Brown is following suit. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. Just go take the talent, most talented people yeah. together. And it's in their heads. It's in their heads as well. So, you know, you can kind of take the best of what you have already. They can come in and say, well, we always at Red Bull, we always thought this about McLaren. We were surprised you guys did this or didn't do this. And you bring in you bring in that knowledge. I think it's I think that more than anything is invaluable. You kind of get people as well who have a different idea of different cultures as well as different design philosophies. So important. And I think McLaren's kind of struggled with that, uh, you know, on both on both both senses for, for quite a while. Let's hit the Spanish Grand Prix. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. What was supposed to be the third leg of the European Quick Tour, um, I guess is technically the second because we unfortunately did not race in Imola. It's going to be an exciting weekend coming off of Monaco. A couple changes to the track. The final chicane um, from the circuit, allowing the drivers um, 
now to go flat out has been removed. So they'll come out of turn 12. They'll be able to go flat out. It's a chicane that Lewis Hamilton said he never really liked. Um, so he's yeah, he, really he was excited. like, finally, I think yeah, <laughs> yeah. he was basically like, finally, they got rid of it. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the funny thing about this circuit is every time we've gone to Spain in some, well, every time I've covered it as a journalist, someone on the Thursday has asked the driver, do you want to get rid of the chicane? And they've always been like, yeah, we hate the chicane. You know, it, it, it just prevents. And I mean, there are DRS moves you can do down the straight, but I think a lot of people feel like it's just, it, you know, it's a, it's not great for the tires there, you know, like, you know, just the sequence, the, the layout there. But having it flat through there, I think drivers just prefer when they can drive flat out. The interesting thing now will be to see if it's actually any good, you know, if they do this and now suddenly like, well, actually this hasn't, you know, this hasn't made the racing any better. I think I saw online that the only driver in Formula One who has driven this configuration is Fernando Alonso because they changed, they put that chicane in for 2007 and he oh, wow. was the only driver who had, well, who, who had raced in Spain before that year. Vettel made his debut later in the season. Um, but yeah, so I don't think that's going to give him any necessarily any advantage, but it shows you how long this has been in uh, in place yeah. for. Um, and the idea being really that you can be on full throttle for longer, and you know, I guess you can you can have fights earlier. My my question with it is going to be: Are people just going to use DRS earlier, and rather than be overtaking at turn one, are they just going to be doing it kind of at the top of the straight? And yeah. you know, I, I I don't know. We'll see how it we'll see how it plays out. But a lot of the time in Formula One, people have these ideas that changing one cir- one corner is going to you know, turn a really bad race into a great one. And I don't really see that being the case here. I think it'll it'll definitely be a lot better from a visual point of view and stuff like that. But I don't think it's going to make a massive difference. But then I'm not, I'm not, you know, one of the guys who races there and they all seem to think it will. So, you know, I I think we should err on on their side rather than on mine. Yeah, fair enough. You mentioned Fernando Alonso. This is his home race as well as Carlos Sainz. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one is having one of the greatest seasons in recent memory, and the other is kind of struggling through this roller coaster that is with Ferrari at the moment. Fernando's last win was in 2013, also his mm-hmm. last podium at his home race. Do you think that changes this year? Could we see him finally get a win, or is it predicated on something happening to Max? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it is predicated on that. But there's, you know, there's been, I think the forecast I last saw, there was a bit of rain maybe around on Sunday. Yeah. At the moment, it's just so difficult because, you know, if Max finishes, he should finish ahead of Fernando. You know, Fernando, you're right. Fernando's having an unbelievable season. It's so impressive what he's doing. But yeah, the the difference in the Red Bull and the Aston is huge. So it would have to take something happening. But, you know, we kind of saw in in Monaco, didn't we? Even in the most unlikely race, something can get thrown up in there. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not one of these people that thinks Red Bull's going to win every race. They've got to hit something at some point, whether it be an issue, you know, whether it be their two drivers colliding. Yeah. You just think something's got to happen. Right. And, and Fernando's doing a great job of putting himself in the position that if anything does happen, he tends to be the guy who would, you know, would stand to benefit from that. So yeah, I I mean, it would be such a great story if he won it. I don't know the exact, the amount of days, but you're right. It's 10 years. He won this race in 2013, which is so insane to think that that's the last time he won a race. Um, and you see pictures of him when he won it. It looks like a different person almost because he's so mm-hmm. much younger than now. Um, it would be an amazing story. So we'll see. Um, I'm not ruling it out completely. That's all I'll say. Speaking of Carlos, if I give you two scenarios, I want you to tell me what has a higher percentage of happening. Much of the same that we've seen so far this year, him coming alive in front of his home fans. Oh, that's a good question. He does seem to do quite well in Spain. I was just looking at some of his results previously, but I don't know with Carlos... I would, I would think the first one purely because I just think he's in. He seems to be in a bad vein of form right now. 
Um, I mean, he was doing work. The thing is, he was doing, he, he had some good spells in, in Monaco, but then obviously he had that, that moment where he went off in, in, in the wet when he was on the wrong tires. So I don't know. I, the, he just seems to be, out of the two Ferrari drivers, he seems to be struggling more. I think, again, he's such a confidence driver. And when he's not quite feeling it, I think you can kind of see that. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully the latter is true, but I would say the first, the first, is that right? The first option was more of the same, right? Or have I messed them the up in my head? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. You so that, yeah, I would say, I would say that one. <laughs> well, one thing is, and something to keep an eye on is that Ferrari, as well as Mercedes and Red Bull are bringing their Monaco upgrades, as well as a couple newer upgrades to Spain. Monaco clearly was not the track uh, to showcase mm. those upgrades and how impactful they could be. What are your expectations with those three teams and what we could possibly see from those said upgrades? Yeah, I'm really fascinated by, I think like everybody is, about the Mercedes because there's been so much talk about this. Um, and Spain, one of the reasons that Spain was used, it used to be a you know where we would go for testing. It wasn't just because, of the, I mean, the location is super convenient, but also as a track layout, it's seen as kind of the most aerodynamic, uh, so the, the circuit that tests aer- uh, the aerodynamics the best you've got a great mix of everything some good straights some great high speed corners and a few slow speed or at least that was the case now they've kind of got rid of the slowest speed bit of the of the track and that uh that chicane at the end but it's always been a track where you know if you're if, if your car is good in spain you know it's kind of always said if you know if if your car performs well there you've got a, a good baseline car it's maybe not as easy a science as that but i think the, the the key will be to see i don't think any of these cars should be comparing themselves to red bull i think that what we need to be looking at is how close they all are relative to aston you know, has Mercedes jumped ahead of Aston? Has mm-hmm. Aston stayed ahead of Ferrari? Has Ferrari moved up? Ferrari actually isn't bringing um, their front suspension. There was a there was talk of uh, a new suspension here uh, in Spain, but Fred Vasseur this week said that's not the case. That's coming later. So okay. I think they're they're sticking to the what they did last year of kind of bringing uh, little and often. So bringing you know the odd bit here, the odd bit there. Whereas obviously Mercedes put this entirely new package to Monaco. So I think my expectation is that. Um, Mercedes will be a lot better. The drivers, the key thing was both Lewis and um, George Russell seemed much more confident with the car. And the one problem they had before was that they couldn't find that kind of base level of confidence with 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 the old car. You know, they were constantly kind of driving, not within themselves, but they were driving around some of those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that at a place like Monaco, they felt okay with the car, I think was a really good sign. But again, like you said, we we didn't really get to see perfect, like properly what that car looked like yet. Sounds like uh, Ferrari is also going to be bringing a new side pod design mm. that looks more similar to Red Bull um, in Barcelona. Yeah, that's right. And this is this is where, and we started we to see this say. in. Yeah. Well, again, and you know, it, it goes back to that phrase: if you can't beat them, join them. And in 2014, mm-hmm. 15, and 16, what you started to see was teams, you know, in in uh, back then were converging around what Mercedes were doing both in terms of the way they set up their power unit, but also in some of the designs. So I think by the end of this year, and certainly by the end of next year, a lot of these cars are going to look very, very similar to the Red Bull because clearly the teams have said, well, that's the best design by quite a long way. We need to replicate it. So um, you're right. I think, and I think that's going to become more and more apparent as we go through the season. When it comes to Alpine, they're clearly going to be trying to build on the momentum that we saw in Monaco. And you mentioned Laurent Rossi's kind of brutal comments about the team's performance from a few weeks ago. Based on what we saw from Alpine and Esteban Ocon finishing on the podium, is this kind of time for Alpine to break away from that middle pack? I think, yeah, when you look at it, it's it's really difficult to work, work Alpine out because they've kind of had this up and down season. But if you look in Miami and you look in, in Monaco, they've been, you know, kind of in the mix with, you know, some of those top guys in, in both instances. I think there's a lot of mitigating circumstances around that. 
Ocon put in a mega lap, you know, that he he went out at a perfect time in qualifying, you know, and so he was but I don't think I don't want to take anything away from him. But out of out of Alpine and McLaren, we've been wondering which of those for years we've been wondering which of those two teams can break out of that mold. Obviously Aston did that. But Alpine have what we've seen from them has suggested they're ready to do kind of a similar thing. Mm-hmm. And I think again, Spain, if 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 they're up there in that mix again, I think we just basically rewrite, you know, what we call that group behind Red Bull. We've been saying top three, top four. I think we're just like that's now the fight for best of the rest behind behind Red Bull. But Alpine has looked at the last two races very, very solid. And I think that's where, and I mean just in terms of pure pace, the results were off. Mm. And I think that's where when you were Laurent Rossi, you were looking at that and you were saying we cannot be having results of this bad because clearly they think the car is a lot better than what they've shown. So yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm actually kind of low-key think that Alpine could be one of the teams, not just in this race, but going forward are kind of I don't think podium I think podiums will be pretty unlikely just given where Aston is compared to the rest but I think Alpine can really put themselves in that mix um yeah. but we'll see this weekend you know if they're if they suddenly drop back again I, I guess Laurent Rossi will be back talking to <laughs> f1.com again <laughs> um, about Otmar but like it, it seems that that's where that team wants to be and expects to be right now consistency I think would be good I mean you think back to yeah. Australia right Australia could have been such a different situation had they not hit each other and both were DNF'd like yeah it's crazy how many points have left oh yes there's been so many left on the table and I think that they that more than anything is what is is bugging that team right now as they look Mm -hmm. at it and they're like we could be we could be in that fight you know in that mix of you know like where Ferrari is I think they could be you know much closer to that Mm -hmm. in fourth you hit and knocked on um McLaren's new livery for the 50th anniversary (laughs) of the triple crown last week yeah, and, it looked better in person, I'll say. did look better in person. Okay, now a disclaimer. Lawrence also was not a huge fan, and I will say that livery ended up providing some good results. Mm. Did we finally see some true potential in Monaco, or was that just maybe raw driver talent from those two? Well, I think I think you'd probably say the latter, given the circuit. But I think as well... Um, Monaco probably hid a lot of the things that McLaren are struggling with, you know, is they're not being exposed so much in the straights. There's not so many mm-hmm. high speed corners there that they're struggling in. Um, and Lando, we've always known how good Lando is. And I think that when he gets the chance to kind of show how good he is, he really relishes that, but also fair, fair play to Oscar as well, because, you know, we, yeah. I think one of the questions coming to the season is, are we going to have a repeat of Ricardo? Is Lando just going to be, you know, wiping the floor with this guy? And actually Oscar was right up there with him all weekend. So, I would, yeah, I would put that down to the drivers and McLaren said the same as well. They, um, the people in the team actually were like through the weekend. I was talking to people there. I spoke to Lando Norris on Thursday, um, and I spoke to some of the some team members the following day after practice, and they were like, "He looks like, you know, nailed into this track. He's so wired." And I think, you know, he obviously there was a slight mistake he made in qualifying that I think maybe cost him a place, maybe two. But yeah, he was he was brilliant. He was on it, and um, some of his onboards, he was really committed. So I think him and Oscar both saw this or saw that race as one where it's like doesn't matter how bad the car is, we can be the we can shine this weekend. I think they both did. So so and McLaren needed that. It's a bit like we were saying with Alpine. McLaren needed that kind of even though on paper it doesn't look like the most amazing result given where they've been. That was really good. But do you feel like now that they're going to be competing at a different circuit in Spain that it's going to be? they're going to be exposed again. Essentially the car is going to be exposed again. Yeah. I mean, everything we're hearing from McLaren is that progress is going to be slow there. And I think that I don't think they're in the same place as Alpine. I think that, you know, that the comparison between those two has really, has really changed. Alpine's on upward trajectory and McLaren's kind of started at such a, you know, 
such a further way back. They're getting their head around their car, but they're in a similar situation to Ferrari where they seem to be updating slowly. You know, you know they've brought different bits here and there. Um, but yeah, I I think points would be points. They've just got to be aiming for just points generally. I don't think I don't think they'll be higher than that. But because um, you know Yuki's always up there with them now, so they're yeah. kind of in that mix, I think. And I'd, I'd expect to see them there again. Okay. That's all I have for different teams at the moment, which means we're <laughs> not going to get into predictions. And I hit at the, the top of bit, the show. The best bit of the pod. The best bit. I hit it at the top of the show that uh, Lawrence Edmondson had big time us, and that's why he's not here because he actually won um, the Monaco predictions. He predicted that Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, and Fernando Alonso would finish mm-hmm. on the podium. So he got two of the three well, right. That, if, had it not been for that Ferrari mistake in quality, that would have been a really good call because Charles should have been right the up trifecta. there. Yeah, he would have gotten but, an so, extra point possibly. So yeah, I'm glad he yeah. didn't. Yeah. Nate, you predicted Fernando Alonso, Charles Leclerc, and Sergio Perez. Yeah, mine was mine was a mess. And I predicted Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen, and Lewis Hamilton, which I was hopeful he might have been able to overtake Esteban Ocon late there in the race, but obviously didn't happen. So our current standings are Lawrence at the top, two, one, and three. Nate. You're one, three, and two, and Katie is one, two, and one. So Lawrence wow. currently. So I'm basically I've choked my early season lead away. Is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you can now In redeem yourself. You can redeem okay. yourself. And okay. I've got a text well, message. I've got a text message real quick from Lawrence. Um, he's still on the ground at press conferences. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. So he's predicting for the Spanish Grand Prix: Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Checo Perez. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty solid, and it shows that Lawrence has a lot of faith in the Merck upgrade because if Lewis yeah. is up there, I think that you know that's a, that would be for Mercedes. That would be a really impressive step forward if they did that. You know, if they were able to to split the the, the Red Bulls, I think that would be a dream scenario for them. So that'd be a very very cool story, given where they were at the start of the season, given where they want to be. So um, yeah, that would be good. And I was kind of leaning in a similar direction, so I'm wondering if maybe I, well, I mean, he is the leader, so maybe I should copy. You, again, going back to my theme of the episode, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, do you want mine straight away? I'm still yeah. trying to buy myself some time. I so can, I, think, I can do it. I can go to, yeah, go, to go as I write this down. I'm going to go Max, yeah. Fernando, and Lewis. Which is that what nice. I did? No, I had Sergio in the mix last year. So I'm going to go yeah. Max, Fernando, Lewis. And what do you think happens to to, to Paris? Do you think he finishes, or do you think he has more more issues in terms of a crash or something? No, I think he finishes. Um, oh, I don't know. I didn't think that far, Nate. Yeah, well, because I think last week I had to justify. I, I forget. Mine was Perez, and I was like, I don't. The only thing I got right was I thought that Perez was gonna something was gonna happen with Perez. But it obviously, did. that doesn't that doesn't count Boy, for points. Did. But like, at least it gives you an out if it if it yes. happens. Um, but no, I like that though. That would be again. That would be a great podium. I think so. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I don't know what I was thinking last week, giving it to Fernando. You know, I was I was all, all in on that hype train. So I'm going to go back to what we know works. Max in first. Okay. And then we have Fernando second and Perez third. So uh, basically Lawrence's, but with Alonso instead of Lewis. Because um, I think the Red Bulls are going to, I think the Red Bulls are going to be so strong this weekend, but I can see Alonso getting, getting in the middle there. Dave, if you had to throw your money on one of the three predictions, who would you take? Yeah, I know you won money last week, so Nate, Nate for sure. Nice. Yeah, I've gone for the safe. I mean that that could not have been more safe if I tried. So well, you're, you're playing the game. You, you blew your lead. Yeah, yeah. You got to get back. 
Exactly. So uh, I, I learned last like, week was a tough sure, lesson. By the way, yeah. like oh, you could just. And now, it. now we're going to have the craziest race ever, and it's going to be some wild finish, isn't it? <laughs> now that I've gone safe, Arkans, <laughs> Arkans definitely winning this Grand Prix. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'll, that would I mean, still not be on my bingo card, but. Yeah, that would be both impressive and amazing. You know, I'd love to see. I'd love to see that. One thing, just on on the Ocon thing, I thought how great it was to see. It, this season we've been spoiled a bit with Alonso getting podiums all the time but you forget how, how rare it was last year to see anyone outside the top three getting a podium and now we, you know it's nice to it's just nice to see other colours up there and other teams celebrating so hopefully that yeah. is something we see a bit more of this season okay you heard it first we will check back next week you will see Nate and I on our post-race show uh, after the Spanish Grand Prix takes place also catch Lawrence's writing all of his content coming out from being on the ground. Enjoy the race. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend, Nate. Cheers. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate.